Hey, church. <laughs> oh, it's good to see you. Is it good to see me? Oh, good. You're too kind. Well, uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for welcoming me back. Um, it's nice. Uh, I still have an office. It's cool. And uh, thanks for letting me be here. Um, I, uh, some news. I enjoyed it so much, I'm going to do it again <laughs> this month. No, just kidding. Um, we, uh, we had a great time. So we had, uh, we had, our, we had July off, and, uh, which is wonderful. And thanks so much, church leadership, for giving us the time. And, and it was a blast. It felt like, I don't know what it felt like for you, for, for us, for me. My wife and I were talking about this just a couple days ago. We're like, that felt like a week and a half. It was like, it was so fast. So we uh, had some kids go to camp. Three of our kids go to different camps here through the church. And then we, um, uh, we spent a week at a family res- excuse me, resort in, uh, in Cancun, which is awesome. So we flew there, did that for a week. This is water park. The kids loved it. Um, we got to swim with dolphins. Look at this. You guys ever done that? You ever been kissed by a dolphin? Right? Bucket lists, mark that one off. Um, we, uh, we had a blast at this place. And uh, there's a, uh, honestly, there's, there's a, so much to share. And, and I'll, I'll probably share a little bit today, but then uh, I'll kind of update you more even next week. And, and the reason is because today in Daniel, we have so much to talk about. Daniel, there's a big shift in the book of Daniel this morning. And so we're going to look at that and spend a lot of time looking at what this says. I'm going to guess that, that for a lot of you who are excited to look into Daniel, today's the day you're waiting for. Today's the like, okay, now we're at the good stuff, right? Whatever the good stuff is, that's what I want. And so anyways, we had a, we had a great time. Um, we, uh, we stayed at this uh, it's called the, the Moon Palace. We stayed at this place. It was a resort. It was like three resorts and restaurants. Um, we, we've decided uh, that as a family, we will always do all-inclusive. You ever been to all-inclusive resort? Amen. Holy moly. This was like a new experience. Like you show up, right? You pay to get there and then it's just free. So we want to go to a restaurant, get dinner. What, all right, what's the bill? Free. Just leave when you're done. Oh, okay, we can leave a tip. Sure, you can leave a tip, but you don't have to. That's it. So we were like kings and queens. I mean, it was like unbelievable. We got back um, and my daughter is five. She's in her bed and she tells my wife, she's first night back in bed, right? It's good to be back in your own bed. She just, this is what she says. I guess I'm gonna have to get used to this lifestyle again. <laughs> what? I just missed my Mexico bed. That's all. We had this huge room and they had like this jacuzzi tub in it. It was like all marble. It was like, wow, this place, this is. So we're, uh, we came back home to real life and we had a blast. But um, uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for the time off and uh, I'm ready to hit the ground running. You ready? Okay, here we go. We're in Daniel. Um, we, uh, this week, uh, if you look at the stage and look around the church, is summer family experience. So it starts tomorrow. So are you guys excited for that? How many registered? You got your families registered? Your kids? Good. If you aren't, if you aren't, there's still time. You can, like, I think they open registration, I guess, for any of the late ones. If you want to, you can even go in the lobby and sign up. You can go online, sign up. If you have never done it, you, I, I, we might, we might force you to do it before you leave. We will force you to, it is that good. So if you've never done it, please sign up. Just take a, just come to night one and see if you like it. It is a blast. So um, it's for kids and parents, the whole thing. All right, Daniel chapter seven. Daniel now moves from, uh, from narrative, from stories. Last week, you remember what last week was, right? It's like the, the famous story, right? Daniel Lion's Den. And now we move to apocalyptic literature, to prophecy. To, to end times stuff. Now, before we've had a posture when we talk about this stuff, and we will continue it this morning. And and before we before we get into it, there are there are four main um, uh, we could call them paradigms by which you interpret end times. And and based on whichever one you're convinced of is true, is accurate, is right, that will 
It will flavor how you read the rest of prophecy. Does that make sense? It's a lens. It's like glasses. And you get to pick which glasses you, not which one you want, but which one you say is, this seems to make the most sense. And the one you're convinced of changes what you read. And wouldn't you know it? Good, Bible-believing, intelligent, very studied Christians land in one of all of four of these options. So there's no like, this is the right one because it's mine. Now, it is mine and it is right. But, but we can easily, this is where we get, this is a, a lot of times where we get a lot of fighting and debates and, and honestly like some real heated discussions over end time stuff because of the lens we're wearing. Here's the lenses. Would you like to know what they are? First one is idealist. And this is that prophecy and apocalyptic literature is just giving us general ideas, but shouldn't be taken literal. That it's just a, sort of a, here's, here's a, everything is symbolic. So here's what this means, but don't take this too Literal, and there's plenty of commentaries written from an idealist perspective. And then there's the, what's often referred to as the preterist view or past view. And, and this is the view that everything that happened, happened in our past. It's future for Daniel, but it's all past for us. They would even say that Revelation is actually past. It happened in the first century, right around 70 AD, the fall of the, of the temple in Jerusalem. And all of the events, in, in, even in Revelation, you can relate back to that time. And, and there's some validity. You can read that and say, this, this actually, this makes a lot of sense. Before you just throw that out because you don't want that to be true or you've never heard that to be true, hold a minute. They've got some actually some good claims. And then there's a, a third view, the historist view, in which it says that, that apocalyptic literature and prophecy has been being fulfilled throughout history. It's not any one particular time, past or future, but it's, it's sort of a, an, an atmosphere, uh, an environment that's always happening. And so there are things that you could say, yeah, this applies back to first century, but it also applies today, and it can also apply to tomorrow. And so it's sort of a broad view of apocalyptic literature. And then there's the final view, the futurist view. And this is probably the more conventional, traditional, maybe more popular, more maybe the view that you've heard the most. And that is that, well, there's a lot of stuff in Daniel that's past, and we're going to see that. But with regard to like the prophecies and, and end times, oh, that's all future. And so everything is interpreted to uh, some future experience time event. Now you can see how depending on which lens you're wearing, it will change how you understand what you're reading, right? So here's what we all are going to agree to do. Some of us, some of us want to avoid end time stuff altogether. And, and you showed up today and you didn't even know this was the topic and you're like, oh man, when are we done? <laughs> like, I just don't like thinking about it. It's just kind of eerie. And then there's others who you'll ask them like, hey, what do you think about end times? And their response is, well, how much time you got? <laughs> we could, I got seven books. They're in my car right now. You want me to get them? And, and like, they're ready to go. They can't get enough of this. And for them, they probably have the right view. Every one of them has the right view. So here's our posture. And, and I, I'm, I hope you will agree with me to have this posture. We've done this before. We talk about holding things with, a, with a, a closed grip, things that I'm not letting glow of, right? Like we are saved through Jesus by his sacrifice alone, by faith, not by works. That I'm not letting go of. That is true. I read my scriptures, and that's the gospel. Like you can't unconvince me of that. But when it comes to end times and apocalyptic literature, and, and I've read plenty, even this past week, I've, I've read I read more on this than, than I ever have. Um, I, I literally, I should have took a picture. I probably have 15 commentaries on my desk just stacked up like, man, that's a lot of paperweights. <laughs> it's, it's shocking how much has been written about this. And, and I've read not all of it, not even close, but a lot. And I'm saying, all right, I hold this with an open hand. Here's what I'm convinced of. Here's what I, I, how I understand this. But I can also be argued out of it. I can, I can be wrong. 
I'm not so, this is the truth. You can't, you know what? I might be a little rough around the edges. So whatever your view is, I hope that you would do this. You would say, all right, this is what I understand. This is whatever level of understanding or involvement you have about end time stuff, you say, okay, I'm gonna hold it with an open hand. I might be wrong. Or at least there might be more new additional information I never knew. And that changes how I see things. So we're gonna, we're gonna look at Daniel chapter seven. It has been estimated that since 1990, an average of 160,000 Christians are killed every year. Think about that number. That's, that's way more than the size of Bend. Every year, on average, 160,000 Christians are killed for their faith. These past years, it's actually, it's going up. Now that, that sounds crazy because we think of martyrdom as like way back then. We don't realize more people are dying today than back then. And they're dying for their faith. And a lot of times when you hear this, people will say, well, when and, and where is the promise of his coming? Jesus, when he leaves, talks about bringing this everlasting kingdom and he talks about setting up everything and making all things right again. And, and, and it's easy to then say, okay, what are you waiting for? 160,000? Jesus, is that not enough? That's every year. What are you waiting for? And, and it's the same question that's been asked 2,000 years ago. We see this show up in 2 Peter when, when they started dying for their faith and they're like, wait, well, hold on, hold on. He was supposed to come back. He was supposed to take us and, they, and he's not. Where is this coming he promised them? Peter, tell us, what is going on? What, like, what's taking him so long? You and I can ask this same question. Israel asked this same question when they're in Babylon. Now, Daniel and his, 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 uh, his fellow friends and those who have been taken captive by Babylon. All right, all right, all right, Lord. How long? You promised. You promised to our ancestors this kingdom and this, this nation that, that would last forever. You promised to David an everlasting kingdom. And we've been conquered. Like, when are we getting it back? How long do we have to wait? It's in this that we come to Daniel chapter seven. The, the suffering has now reached a, its pinnacle under the evil king Belshazzar. And God gives Daniel now the first of four visions and dreams that we're gonna read about in Daniel's seven through 12, the rest of the, our series. We're looking now at these four visions. Daniel 7, most, most, many commentators will say is the single most important chapter in Daniel. It, it acts as the hinge to, 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 to bridge together chapters 1 through 6 and then 8 through 12. And, and it is, it is, the, the, it is the, the essential piece that makes Daniel one book and it, it introduces what we're gonna be talking about through eight through 12 for the rest of the series. It all shows up in Daniel chapter seven. One commentator says this, once convinced of the truth this chapter is proclaiming, the reader is in possession of the key to history. He said, this, this key, chapter seven unlocks the key to history to understand like our history. Like we go back, we're gonna talk about things you know and have heard about that you didn't realize were in here. And it, Daniel seven unlocks that to say, whoa, I didn't realize that. Wow, okay. There's more in here than I thought. Here's what we're gonna see. Ready? This is the main point. Right out the gate. Whatever happens in life, whatever happens in your life, whatever happens in your loved one's lives, whatever happens in the lives of people in scripture, whatever happens in life, ready for this? God is still in charge. That's the point. 
We, we can say that's the theme of Daniel. That's the theme of, of Daniel chapter seven. That's the theme of the Bible. Listen, whatever happens in your life, God is still in charge. Think of the worst possible thing that has happened to you. Like the, the lowest of low in your life. We've all had that and some, some of us are lower than others. Whatever that is, and it's probably terrible. And if you came up here and share with us, we would all just, oh my gosh, I didn't really, like how could you, how could you manage that? In that moment, you ready? God is still in charge. It might not feel like it. God is still in charge. Your life, the perspective of your life in the grand scope of all existence, I mean, it's, it's this much. You live to whatever age you're gonna be, 70, 80, 90, uh, keep going up, 100. That's good, right? Whatever your life is, the totality of your life, this is your perspective. Daniel 7 gives us a perspective of everything. And it says, listen, listen, listen. As, as important as you are to the world, let me tell you about all of it. Daniel chapter 7 tells us that through all of it, through all of human history, God is still in charge. You ready? 2020, there was an election. Did you hear about it? The United States of America, we elected a president. It was a different, a new president. And maybe you voted for him, maybe you didn't. And it doesn't matter if you voted for him or if you didn't. Ready? God is still in charge. It doesn't sway based on who's in charge of the political spectrum, like who we hear from when you turn the TV on. No, 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 listen. God is still in charge. You're gonna hear me say that a lot. And you know why you're gonna hear me say that a lot? Because he is still in charge. It is so easy to get anxious and worried and throw our hands up and say, I don't know what's gonna happen. And this is, I can't imagine like this is happening. Did you hear this new laws being passed? And we get so riled up. And then Daniel several reminds us, he says, you guys, do you believe in me or not? Do you, do you trust me or not? Are you ready for Daniel 7? I am, I'm going through it without you anyway. So here we go. <laughs> Daniel chapter seven, verse one, it says this. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was laying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. So Daniel 7, if you remember the timeline of Daniel, it's not chronological. So Daniel 5 and 6 actually happens after Daniel 7. So, so we're going kind of back in time, almost like a, like a, let me tell you what happened before Daniel in the lion's den, before all of that. Okay, let me show you something that happened. It's actually 14 years ago. Here, Daniel chapter 7 happens in 553, the beginning of Belshazzar's reign. So Babylon hadn't fallen yet. The handwriting on the wall and the, and the Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel hasn't gone to the lion's den yet. And he gets this vision. Here's what it says. Daniel said, in my, my vision at night, I looked and there before me were, four, were the, the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first, now he's gonna give us a description of these beasts. The first was like a lion and it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. That's the first beast. Second one. And then there stood before me a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, that's important, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there was before me another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like, like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. This fourth beast shows up. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast. 
terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It, it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had 10 horns. Okay, you, you see how this could be confusing. You see how whatever lens you're wearing determines what this says, right? Here we go. It had 10 horns. And while I was thinking about the 10 horns, he's sitting here and he's, he's seeing this and I've never seen a creature with 10 horns like that. That's interesting. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, an 11th horn. He says, a little horn, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This thing apparently keeps growing larger and larger and, and it uproots three of these horns. This horn had eyes like human eyes, like a, eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Okay, Woo. here we go. So Daniel gets this vision. This is the first time Daniel gets a vision. In the past, he is interpreting other people's dreams. You remember this? Now he gets one. And he doesn't know what this is. Remember, he can interpret dreams. He can interpret visions. He understands like supernaturally, God gives him the ability to understand things. He gets this and, and we're gonna see here in a second. He's like, I don't know what this is. I have, no, I have no idea. Now, if you remember, chapter seven lines up with chapter two. There's a lot of parallel, uh, like the way Daniel writes the book of Daniel. Like there's a lot of chapters that sync up with other chapters. Chapter two and seven relate. And so here's what we see in chapter two. If you remember this, remember the statue that we're going back now, what is this, a month now, four weeks, I think. Um, you remember the statue, right? Four different medals and four different kingdoms. Here's what it was if you don't remember here's what we here's what we realized and came to know the head of gold and silver and bronze and then the bottom is iron and clay and they represent these kingdoms Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome now we come to chapter 7 and wouldn't you know it four beasts describing four kingdoms here's what they're describing a lion with eagles eagles wings this first beast is Babylon Nebuchadnezzar, we know this, had a preoccupation with lions. There were lions inscriptions all over Babylon. When they uh, did archaeological digs, they find, well, he loved lions. And guess what? These lions even had wings on them. There were a lot of lions at the, at the main entrance of the, at the Ishtar gate, for example. And, and, and Daniel would have walked by this countless times. So Daniel, seeing this vision of a lion with wings, he would immediately think, Oh, I've seen that before. I know, I think I know what that represents. And then we see at the same time that this beast, it walks upright and gets a, the mind of a man. Does this draw your attention to another story in Daniel? You remember this? When Nebuchadnezzar becomes, God gives his prophecy because of his pride that you will become like an animal and eat like an animal and he loses his mind, he goes insane and then eventually for seven years and then he comes out of it and God restores his mind and he becomes a man again. He stands upright and he gets his sanity back and then he realizes God is above, far above any other God. To him be the glory, right? And he says, he will humble anyone who opposes him. It's just... He's describing Nebuchadnezzar, this, this beast that stands upright and he's given a mind of a human again. The second one is this bear, this bear with one side higher than the other. The second beast fits perfectly with Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia is two kingdoms, the Medes and the Persians who come together in an alliance to attack and eventually defeat Babylon. Hence, Medo-Persia. It would be like saying, um, you know, um, uh, American, America, Canada, um, America. That sounds like a terrible country to try to be a part of. But that's the idea. Like two come together and they conquer Babylon. So Medo-Persia. And, and what we see is that Persia actually becomes a little bit greater than, than, than the Medes do. And they have more of the future kings come from Persia. And so this bear has a side that's one that's larger. One side of this two sides is greater than the other. This kingdom, this kingdom defeats and is the one that conquers Babylon. This is still now future for Daniel. It's past for us. It's, it's future for him. 
this bear is eating three ribs. Now scholars are divided what this means, but it, it could possibly refer to the three different conquests that it led and it conquered Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. These huge conquests, well-known, and it could very well represent these three different huge areas that it decided to devour. The third beast is a leopard with four wings and four heads. This third beast is Greece. If you remember uh, the greatest easily the greatest leader, the greatest military conqueror of Greece and perhaps all time is this guy named Alexander the Great. You remember him? Alexander the Great did what no one else could do. He conquered the known world. And he did so with such speed as that of a leopard and, and, and with four wings, twice the wings of the original, uh, of the original Babylon, the lion with the eagle's wings. He does it so swiftly, what took centuries, what took centuries to become this Medo-Persian empire. Listen, Alexander, he conquers all of it in four years. It takes him four years. And then we see that this beast also had four heads. Wouldn't you know it? Alexander dies in, at the age of 33. And guess how many territories his kingdom is broken up into? Four pieces from his four generals, and they're each given a different part, each ahead of their own territory. Now, this is all gonna come up again in chapter eight. We're gonna talk more about this, so we're gonna move on. Um, Alexander it has an has a important role in scripture and in chapter eight, but we see that this leopard with four wings and four heads most clearly represents Greece. And then we see this great beast that's not given a description it's not just any single animal. It has iron teeth and it has 10 horns. This final beast, this is Rome. And it's this beast and it's those horns that now become the focus of the rest of chapter seven and, and eventually the rest of the book of Daniel. Rome conquers all of this. This beast is described again in Revelation 13. Daniel and Revelation um, uh, they're almost like uh, part A and part B. Like you read both of them because they give insight to each other. In Revelation chapter 13, this beast is described. Tell me if you recognize anything from Daniel in this description. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns and each head a blasphemous name. And the beast I saw resembled Look at this, a leopard, but it had the feet of those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power, his, his throne and his great authority. We see that this final beast that, that, that Daniel doesn't know how to describe is probably a combination of all of these animals. And he's like, I don't know what that thing is, but that is scary. And it's got 10 horns. This thing is different. Whatever this is, whoever this is, is different. Rome was different than all of them. It, con it conquered all of them and became the greatest might and power, easily the greatest world power the world had ever seen at that point. It would be the time that would usher in the coming of Jesus. I mean, there are hundreds of years. Rome was the power for hundreds of years. And this beast we see has 10 horns and then there's an 11 horn. This 11th horn is what scholars, commentators debate on who is this? It's probably, if you've gotten in debates about end time stuff, it's probably, you don't know it, but it's probably about this 11th horn. This 11th horn, quite possibly, is the first reference to what we often refer to and know commonly as the Antichrist that this 11th horn shows up and gains power. It, it takes over three other horns. It conquers them, defeats them, removes them and takes their place. And it becomes this boastful, proud ruler with great authority. Now, this vision is gonna make a dramatic shift. And, and, if, and if, you, if you read Daniel with a futurist view, you understand that these horns and this 11th horn is future. 
It's something that's still to come. The Antichrist that's coming. If you read this from a preterist view, you look back and say, oh, there's, there's 10 rulers that we could easily put in these places from Greece and eventually Rome. And, and then there's an 11th horn. And, and there are plenty of books written about this 11th horn possibly being either Titus in the first century or, um, or um, this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. Like there are plenty of people who say, no, 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 this isn't future. This all already happened. This is, this is describing kingdoms. It's future for Daniel. It's past for us. If this is future, this is describing this Antichrist. Now, we're gonna see a dramatic shift. We're gonna go, we're gonna see why Daniel is such an important chapter here because we're now going to get a vision of God's throne. This only happens a few times in scripture. In Isaiah chapter six, in Ezekiel chapter one, in Revelation four and five, we get a picture, we get a, we get a peek into heaven to see God on his throne. And we get one right here. It says this, as I looked, thrones were set in place. The ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow and the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and his wills were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from from before him and thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. We see that God take a seat on the throne and this throne is a courtroom. God is gonna pronounce judgments. Hence all of the the imagery of fire. Now, Now, listen, this is apocalyptic. So this is symbolist. This, this isn't literal, like, like you get to heaven and say, all right, I wanna see that beard they were talking about. Like I've seen a really good Santa beard before. I bet his is better. Like the, God isn't actually an old man with a white long beard sitting on a throne, just, just waiting for things to happen. All of this is a picture of this ancient of days describing aspects of him. So we see God sitting on his throne, making judgments. And can you imagine what Daniel is feeling in this moment? Can you imagine what you would feel? Again, you're in captivity, you're in Babylon. You you don't know what what is going on. You miss your home and now you get this vision and and now you're, you're, you're peeking in to God on his throne, sitting as the great judge. And before him are literally millions of angels. All there in attendance. You talk about a scene. And, and, and that's, that's, that's not all. There's something else that happens. In this throne room scene, something is off. There's another noise that comes up. I imagine for Daniel, probably a startling, shocking, out of place, even annoying noise. It says this, then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts have been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. This horn is there and he's just running his mouth, just talking all kinds of, look how great I am, I'm a horn. (laughs) And I got eyes and a mouth. Listen, there's no other horns like me. And Daniel's watching this going, what are you doing? Don't you know where you are? And he's like, kept watching. And then eventually God says, all right, can can we be finished with this one? This horn, okay, done. And And he passes judgment on him and he's destroyed. And the next we see is something amazing. We get a glimpse into the gospel. Here's what it says. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, if you've been a follower of Jesus, if you've read the scriptures, if you've looked at the New Testament, if you, you probably recognize that language. You say, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. I know what that, I've heard that before. This is a direct reference to Jesus, to the Messiah. Daniel got to see Jesus long before he was born as a baby and came to earth. He got to see Jesus, this 
one like a son of man coming on the clouds. If you remember in when the end of Jesus's experiences, earthly ministry, um, he's on trial and he's brought before the rulers and, and they say this, all right, are you the Messiah? And in Mark 14, Jesus says, I am, and you will see the son of man, this name for himself, sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. He says, listen, you know who I am? I'm that one in Daniel 7. And after that, they say, all right, do we need any more charges? You just heard him blaspheme. All right, we sentence you to death. Jesus quoting Daniel 7 is what gets him his death sentence because he says, I'm that one. I'm that one. The one that Daniel saw, I'm coming. I'm coming. The son of man coming on clouds. And it says this, he approached the son of man, the ancient of days, and was led into his presence. You can imagine this, this scene unfolding. And he was giving, uh, given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. This sounds familiar too. We see this in Philippians chapter two. It says the same thing. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Where is the promise of his, of his coming? The people ask. Oh, it's coming. How long do we have to wait? Oh, a little longer. Are you sure he's coming? Oh, he's coming. What will it be like? Oh, just wait. <laughs> he is coming. Whatever our view of life is, we, get, we zoom out and realize, oh, hold on, hold on. As much as I thought I was in charge or I wanted to be in charge or, or that this, this new ruler of this new nation or this new military is in charge, God says, hold on, hold on. Let me show you the kingdoms of the earth and they are but nothing before me. Who's in charge? Oh, I think you know. <laughs> we see that Jesus is gonna set up this kingdom that will never be destroyed. And now, the chapter shifts again. We're halfway through. We got to, yeah, you guys got another hour in you? Okay, let's do it. It says this, Daniel becomes a pretty bold dude. This is crazy. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and the vision that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached, listen, this is what he does. I don't understand this. So he, I don't know what this means. So here's what his decision is, ready? I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. Daniel presumably taps on the shoulder of an angel and says, hey, do you know what's going on? Can you explain this to me? Can you imagine being there and be like, hey, hey excuse me, you, you know, with the wings, come on, and the harp, right away, I don't know. Come on over. Hey, I don't know what this means. Can you tell me what is happening? So he told me, and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the most high will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. The good news, he says, there's these beasts, yes, but don't worry about them. Eventually there's gonna be the people and they will possess the kingdom forever and ever. Oh, it's good news. Daniel wasn't finished. I bet Daniel, I bet Daniel was terrible to watch movies with. The kind of guy, like the person who always asks questions, do you know that person? Do you live with that person? I have a few of those persons in my family. Like we sit down for a movie five minutes in. Hey, why is that person doing that? I don't, I've seen what you have. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't even know their name. Okay. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Why would they do that? Rewind it. Let's watch in different rooms. Daniel, Daniel was probably that guy, always asking the next question, right? He was the, he was the, you remember this is the old show, but I grew up, my dad watched this, Columbo. You remember Columbo? Uh, just one more question. One more thing, right? He always had that one last question. That's Daniel. Hold on, hold on. Okay, thanks. One more thing. He says this. Then I wanted to know the meaning. Okay, that's great. We're gonna get all this stuff. Okay, hold on, hold on. I wanna know the meaning of the fourth beast, which is different from all the others. The most terrifying one. You know that one, the, 
with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the feet that had crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot, whatever he is describing, everything about it. I also wanted to know about the 10 horns on his head and, and about the horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing. Do you remember that one? It has eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people. And look at this, ready? And defeating them. This horn actually defeats God's people. As much as you and I want to say, God will never let anything bad happen to us. What we're told here is that, oh, actually, oh, actually there's a, a horn, an antichrist coming that, that will do bad things to God's people. Is God coming? Oh, yes, but, but that doesn't mean we're immune from anything bad. This, this horn, he attacks and defeats. He's defeating God's people until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the most high. And at that time, that time came when they possessed the kingdom. He says, tell me about this horn. I, I wanna know about this horn. What's, all right, what's the deal? What's the deal with this guy? Who's he think he is? Why is he doing all this stuff? Tell me more. Now, thankfully, this angel there actually shares with him. All right, fine. And now we're given insight into everything we were just heard. Now we're gonna give an explanation of it. Would you like to hear this explanation? It says this, he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from the, all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth. Remember, this is Rome, trampling it down and crushing it. The 10 horns are 10 kings who will come from this kingdom. The language is important here. Who will come from this kingdom. Now, this is where things get divisive because depending on how you read Daniel, these 10 rulers are either past, like we said, during Roman rule or they're future in the end times. And they're gonna somehow come out of a, a reconstituted Roman empire, perhaps 10 nations that maybe perform a, an alliance that used to be the territories of Rome. Does that make sense? So somehow there's a resurgence of this beast. Again, if, the, if you hold to this futurist view and that these 10 horns will come from that area, from this Roman Empire part two, this 2.0 shows up. If it's future, this clearly leads us to the, the Antichrist of the end times. Now, don't worry, things will continue to get muddier over the next few weeks as we look at more visions and we get more descriptions. And, and listen, they will become more divisive. And, and I think more clear and yet more confusing. You ready for that? Oh, I get it. I don't understand it. That will probably be your response and that is the appropriate response. All right. The goal of this isn't to say, I have it all figured out. It's to say, God knows. God has it figured out. I rest in that. Then, okay, here, here we go. After them, after these four, another king will arise. Different from the earlier ones. This is the 11th little horn. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the most high and oppress his people and try to change the set times and laws. Somehow this guy has power and, and maybe even tries to change how we tell time. Maybe he even changes how we describe days and months and years. Maybe it's describing the past where that was changed and they became known as Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And when, when we change to, from a lunar calendar to a solar calendar. And then we see this, as if you weren't confused enough, the holy people will be delivered into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. 
he will persecute and oppress God's people for three and a half times. Now, most commentators, and I think it's fair to understand that this means three and a half years, a time, a year, a times, a dual years, two years, and a half time, a half, two, one plus two plus a half. And we see that this lines up perfectly in, in, uh, in Revelation 13, where it talks about this, this horn, this beast having authority for 42 months, exactly three and a half years. We'll look at this in a second here. In, in the next few chapters of Daniel, he talks about a time period that's right around three and a half years so this this horn this this boastful one this king will have authority and will oppress God's people ready for three and a half years this is what we often refer to as the great tribulation now often we times we talk about it as seven years and that's true and we'll look at why we call that a seven-year period but it's not until the midway point that things start to change and for that three and a half years this guy's in charge and guess who he goes after? God's people, the holy ones in the most high, his followers. If that's you and me, that, that means he's going after us. We're the target here. Are you ready? I'm not, I don't wanna be a part of it, <laughs> right? I, I, listen, I, I don't wanna be around when that happens, but listen, some believers will be and they'll experience this. This is the eerie part that we don't like talking about. So let's move on. And then it says this, but the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over who? To the holy people. The one that this, this horn persecuted, the holy people of the Most High, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and rulers will worship and obey him. There it is again. His kingdom will be everlasting. This one doesn't end. It's not like the other beasts. And notice, notice who the kingdom is given to. It isn't the son of man this time. It's his people. You and I will be given this eternal kingdom where he says, listen, I'm gonna give it all to you. And for, for those of us who are followers of him, he's... You're a part of this. You're in. This last verse, this is the end of the matter. <laughs> Daniel's like, I've had enough. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled in my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Where's the promise of his coming amidst everything that's going on in, in our life today in the history of the world, all of the, the ups and downs of kingdoms and the amount of death and destruction? <laughs> Where's the promise of his, of his coming? Oh, whatever happens in life, remember, ready? God is still in charge. He's given us the key to, here's the, ready? Here's what history will look like. And I'm in charge of all of it. I oversee all of it. None of it's a surprise. None of it's a, I didn't see that coming. I wasn't prepared for that. God is sitting there saying, listen, you guys, you're living through this. And I know it's so difficult, but I'm telling you, got such good things prepared. I have a, a kingdom that will, it will last forever and I'm gonna give it to you. This is good news. We may fear our lives. We may fear what's next, our future. We may fear a certain election. We may fear a certain law passed. We may fear persecution. You may fear actual physical bodily persecution like, like other Christians today will, are in fear of literally losing their lives, of being captured or tortured or killed. And, and like all of that, ready? God's still in charge. You may be arrested for your faith. I, I've said this before. Never before would I have thought in America you could be arrested, but I could see that happening one day. Being arrested for, for preaching the gospel and believing what this says and, and saying it out loud to be, to be so bold to say, I believe this. Oh, sorry. In that moment, guess who is still in charge. The point of Daniel 7 isn't, we're gonna end with this. It isn't to say, I know who the little horn was gonna be. I know his name. I know where he comes from. Oh, I, it's this president. It's this Pope. It's this ruler. It's this, it's this, it's this prime minister of Germany. It's, it, clearly it was Hitler. Okay, maybe it wasn't Hitler. We're still, okay. The goal of Daniel 7 
isn't to try to figure out all the pieces that fit together. The goal of Daniel 7 is to say, all right, God, whatever happens in life, you got this. And I rest and trust in you. You've set this all up. Okay, I'm in. We're, we went over, so I'm gonna pray and, and close. Did that feel like we went long? No? All right, let's do it again. Start a chapter, verse one, here we go. So I'm gonna pray, but before we do, would you do this? Would you, would you stand? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask God um, for strength for, for us and, and the ability to see beyond our perspective to, to the whole of the experience that God has set up for all human history. So Lord, we come before you and, and, and right now we imagine Jesus, you're, you're seated on the throne right next to the Father. And we know we can boldly, we're told in scripture, we can boldly approach because of your sacrifice, Jesus. We can stand now in the courtroom and ask you for things. Before Jesus, we weren't allowed to do this. And so we come before you now, not asking, not asking for more comfort, more, more to enjoy in life. We come to you this morning to ask for strength and courage when life doesn't make sense. When things are hard, when we don't know the reasons to why or the what, will you strengthen our confidence in you? Will you give us a boldness of our faith and a boldness to share the gospel like never before? Realizing that one day, one day, all of this, all of the stuff that's future for us now will one day be our past and we'll look back at it when we're all, for those who follow Jesus, when we're in the kingdom that we have forever, we look back and say, I am so glad I trusted Jesus. I can't imagine what it would be like to not believe in him. Lord, give us courage and strength and faith to do that for the rest of our lives. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for Daniel and Daniel chapter seven and these visions that we're gonna continue to look at. Will you continue to increase our faith that you are still in control? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.